Bangly bang, bang, bangly bang, bangly bang. Bangly bang. This is getting out of hand. Someone trying to. It's a new catchphrase. Bangly. It's just a man saying bangly bang 57 times in a row. Okay. Oh, this is better. This is a sweet spot. Bangly bang on the Empire podcast this week. Alfonso Cuaron takes us to Roma. And who are we to say no? Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is excited to put the Christmas tree up this weekend. Get that cinnamon and clove candle on. Heat up a mug of cocoa. And wait for my annual Christmas bonus to arrive from my big-hearted boss, Frank Shirley. I'm sure there's no way that guy will chip me with a discount subscription to a Jello of the Month Club. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. I don't know about you, but I am getting into the Christmas spirit, and I'm joined by three elves of such lethal cunning who are also doing so. Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara, have you put a shirtless supernatural calendar on your Christmas <laughs> wish list? If it existed, I might, but it doesn't, so I haven't. Are you going to buy a swimming pool with your bonus? I have arranged to have a swimming pool installed as part of my bonus, and if there's enough left over, yeah. I'm going to fly you all out of here for the uh, the opening ceremony. Fantastic. It's going to be good. Uh, we're also joined by, I mean, every time he, he deigns to join us, I'm excited because he is a megastar. He is the star of one of the biggest films of all time. It's not set at Christmas, but we can't hold that against him. I'm talking, of course, about Edmund from Jurassic World, Nick Desemlian. How are you? I hate to correct you. Yeah, it is. It is set at Christmas. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a Christmas movie, Oh, right? yeah. It starts. <laughs> it starts. <laughs> Wait a second. What? <laughs> yeah. It is. The opening is all snowy and stuff, and then they go off to, uh, to a tropical trees. place. But There's yeah, literally Christmas trees. It's toast Christmassy. James, we need to go back in and redo our Christmas movies ranking because this changes everything. I mean, I mean Die does Hard, it. forget about it. I'm not saying Edmund is the true meaning of Christmas, <laughs> oh, but I'm not, not saying that. You're the ghost of Christmas shit. James Starr is also here, which is nice, I guess. Hi, Chris. You all right? Yeah. I'm just, you know, stunned you in, with that gag. Go on. Are you, uh, it's, not, it's not a gag. It's a, it's a, it wasn't a gag. It's, a, it's not a gag. It's It's... What is it? It's a term of affection. Yes. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast. We're contractually uh, obligated to note your, note your presence. <laughs> Thanks. It is in, it's my rider. You yeah. have to acknowledge that I'm here. <laughs> you guys can see him too then, yeah? Mm. Fred's uh, Shame. All right. So uh, are you in the Christmas spirit? Or Always. are you being Grinchy? <laughs> I am, I am, I'm an evergreen festive spirit. All year round, I'm full of the joys of Christmas. I'm Father Christmas. You didn't know that, did you? It's true. Just when you least expect it, I come into your living room and steal your shit. Well, I think your initials are RFC, but they don't stand for Father Christmas as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you do leave lumps of coal around. At least I hope it's coal. Yeah. <laughs> I think of myself more of, a, more of a Krampus than a, uh, than a Santa. Yes, yeah, so does everyone else. <laughs> yes, a, a Grumpus, if you will. I'm really excited. This is the weekend that my wife allows us to put the Christmas yeah. tree up. She won't. Uh, I want to put it up basically in like March, but she won't let me do it, so... December 1st, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. definitely that's when, that's never before December. But, but and controversially Tell to me, to read street, pal. cannot leave it up after New Year's Day. And I know not everyone agrees with this, but no, I just think there is nothing more depressing than Christmas decorations in January. It just makes me sad. It's it January really 6th just makes me sad. Really? January 6th, 12th uh, night. Uh, no, no, uh, 12th night, none of that. It okay. has to be on New Year's Day. Everything has to come down New Year's no, that's, Day. That's, that's I, I feel like people are starting Christmas early this year because we all need it desperately. Problem is we can't afford it. <laughs> and next that's, year that's even true. less so. But we can at least put up the tree we already have and the decorations we already the have. Communal the communal tree, the tree that we all share. The that, one tree. Yeah. You should you should uh, actually make the most of it this year because apparently Europe are getting Santa in the divorce agreement, so. Mm. Well, he, well he won't be he won't have he won't be allowed to fly, will he? No, absolutely not. UK, it's restricted actually. airspace. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. He Standing is European. So. For ages in the in the queue at customs. Oh man. At least he gets a blue passport. Yes, he does indeed. <laughs> Nick, he are you, uh... He'd have to show his income. He can't do that. <laughs> it's one of the reindeer called Brexit. I feel like it's one of the lesser reindeer. <laughs> yes. Definitely <laughs> one of the lesser Yeah, there's, there's Donner, Dasher, Cupid, Prancer, Rudolph and Brexit. <laughs> That's, That's how it I works. Thought. That's what I thought. Confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the question? I don't even know. <laughs> okay. Are you just excited about Christmas? But that's not the question. I'm, I'm not really, although I have brought a, um, a festive tin of mini Twiglets, which has a How a, did you a come robin. by these? I bought them in a shop. Oh. I oh, like Twiglets. That's quite traditional. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. It's, it's not difficult. Well, oh, no, I just wondered why, because it's just unusual to see a grown man walking the streets with an enormous <laughs> tube of Twiglets. I just assumed someone had given them to him, or, you know, uh, you know he'd stolen them. Nick loves his Twiglets. I do what love a Twiglet. I, I do love a Twiglet. Yeah, festive uh, Twigs. Shall we have a question? Sure. An actual question. And this comes from an actual reader. And it is... Reader? I mean, what are they? Listener. Human. Person. Unless you... Civilian. Print out the podcast. And Michael. read it. 
Yeah. This is from a muggle. It's from Will Hughes. At Will Hughes 87 on the Twitter machines. And he asks, What children's show would you like to see made into a film that hasn't already been? Ooh. My vote is Captain Scarlet as long as it doesn't get thunderbirded. Not my words, the words of Will Hughes 87. Huh. John Craven's uh, news round. <laughs> no, with, no. With the jumpers. No, definitely. But really, like, it's all a big subterfuge and secretly, like, he's a serial killer and he's going out and that's, that's kind of the plot of it. And he just puts on this sort of festive jumper, informative educating the children face. But deep down, there's a dark passenger bubbling beneath the surface. That's, I mean, that was way too specific. Um, I haven't put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, I suspect all your pictures are going to be like that. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Cries for help. Yeah. Or confessions. One of the, one of the two. <laughs> uh, so, hang on. You know what John Craven's news round is, right? Yeah, mean, it was the he, thing you had to sit through before you could watch Neighbours. Right. So, how would, how, how, how would that work itself into a, in a, into a plot, a movie, a movie plot? I just laid it out for you, that, the whole thing. That was basically my elevator pitch. So, he's a new... Yeah. Uh, he's a newsreader yeah for children yeah but he's also a serial killer yeah <laughs> okay I can see it now alright okay uh, he was the one who trashed the Blue Peter Garden that's a spoiler from the third act <laughs> I think all our references are going to be pretty dated aren't they judging by this first one is John Craven still going pretty sure he's <laughs> dead no he's, he's, uh, he's alive he's alive I googled him as you were he's as alive you were doing this. and yeah. yet not caught oh my god but he's not uh, still reading out the news as your lawyer <laughs> I feel very strongly that we should make it clear that John Craven, the isn't, actual Craven, not a is killer. not a serial killer. It's John killer. Craven with a K. John Craven. You've mixed him up with John Craven. Craven the Hunter. Oh, so God. where's... Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm actually on board with this now. Don't <laughs> he's, encourage he's, it. He's taught me around. But again, we have to stress that John Craven is not a serial killer. I would have watched Wes Craven's John Craven. Oh, yes! That would have been good. That would have been amazing. John Craven's new nightmare. Wes Craven's news round. This is extraordinary. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to change the subject quickly. Please. Um, Wombles. Worse. Really? The the time is surely right. Name them all now, and I'll give you a fiver. I will, because I've got them in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see if I can do it. Orinoco. So, yeah. Great Uncle Bulgaria. Yep. And the others. And uh, Bunga Bunga, which is not a Womble. That's That's a... Party in Italy. Yeah, okay. And let's not forget, of course, Brexit. (laughs) Brexit. So I just feel like the time is ripe with today's technology to uh, do a performance capture. You know, not saying James Cameron should direct it, but probably should. (gasps) But not not saying that. Five Womble films and just get get really deep into the the mythology. Well, this could get quite dark as well, because according to Donald Trump, Wimbledon is a no-go zone. Right. So Uncle Bulgaria turns out to be a serial killer. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Could happen. David Cronenberg's Wombles. <laughs> I would like to suggest, uh, well, I was going to suggest Reboot when I first thought of it because I think that's an, a massively underrated cartoon. That was incredible. 90s cartoon set inside a computer. It was amazing. Did, I, does this get the sigh of the reboot? Uh, <sighs> no, because it rebooted itself halfway through the series and got even better. Hang so on, like, reboot, rebooted? Reboot, rebooted. And now you want to reboot the reboot, reboot? Yeah. <laughs> You're mad. I know. I live on the edge. Um, but actually... Really? Uh, stories How is inside, it these days? It's great. Uh, stories inside computers can be a bit shit, actually, I've decided. So mm. I'm not going to suggest that in the end. I'm going to suggest Super Ted. And here's why. <gasps> yes! Because my little brother played That's me the, the opening credits of Super Ted last night and I'd mm. forgotten how freaking insane they are. Spotty. Uh, yes. Texas so Pete. This is, oh, Texas Pete! This is what gets it. So Super Ted is a oh. teddy bear created in a toy factory. Yep. He's de- he's defective, so he's thrown in the, the empty, the crap toy room, basically. Mm. That's what they say in the narration, where, the crap toy room. Yes, where a spotty man, a an spotty alien, man. literally referred to as the spotty man, <laughs> brings him to life, but then also brings him to Mother Nature, who lives on a magic cloud, <laughs> who gives him superpowers. <laughs> and then when he unzips his fur... Skin. Uh, he has his sinew underneath. Full on yes, body horror. He has his costume underneath that. So how does he get his skin back on? Like yeah. what? How does? Does he does infinitely does he just keep taking things off? Yeah. Mm. Does he keep taking off a layer and then it's either skin, uniform skin, uniform? Like I'm how does that work? I may never sleep again after this conversation. Sam Elliott as Texas Pete. Well, I was going to say Jeffrey. Okay. De- I was going to say Jeffrey Dean Morgan Ooh, play, playing his character show. from Rampage. Um, yes, the, the greatest yes. dialogue of the year. Still, Amazing. there's it... only like a month to go. But uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's line in Rampage: "When science shits the bed, I'm the guy who changes the sheets," which yes. is the worst brag. <laughs> yes. It's like, why are you bragging Amazing. about that? <laughs> anyway, but yeah, he should be Texas Pete. Just put on a Stetson and he's this ready is, to go. This is all coming together. I'm okay. telling you, Super Ted the movie. It's going I to be have another walking Ted. 
How about okay, that? That's good. <laughs> With Negan, this, this works. Uh, this yeah, works I, I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, Super Ted is is amazing. I'm, I'm, I would like to uh, put in a shout for Rent a Ghost. I uh, think that could, they, mean, were, they were going to do that. Uh, here's a hot fact for you: Hazel the Witch, and this may be apocryphal because I don't know how this information got into my head. So just bear that in mind. Hold some co- or held. She's probably dead. Held some kind of record for fastest touch typing, or it could have been shorthand, but it was something like that. Dude, that was the least specific story in the world. <laughs> and ever. it may not be true because I don't know how I know it, or indeed if I do know it, or possibly dreamt it. But that is a fact. And they were saying the witch, Dobbin the horse, Mister Claypole, and Mrs. Popoff. Do you remember Mrs. Popoff who sneezed no. and teleported? How am I the only one who saw Rent-A-Ghost? Well, I mean, while I, we're all going full Stuart McConey and we're we're going down nostalgia lane, uh, who remembers Tony Hart? and his yes. caretaker friend, Mr. Bennett. Mm-hmm. And we all know no. that his son is Tom Bennett. Bennett! Oh, dear. No. The actor Tom Bennett. Get not off some not the bad guy from... Not, the no, not, no, not the bad guy from Commando. Is that true? That's, that's very true. Oh, that's cool. Yes, Tony Hart's son is the bad guy from Commando. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is entirely that is, true. That's yep. ultra true. It could not be any more true than that. Um, I the, will... Yeah. Yes? Yeah, I just want to mention one more thing. Mm-hmm. Animaniacs. I know yeah. it's getting a reboot already, but it's only a small screen one. I want it everywhere. I want anime. Yeah, on the big screen, on the small screen, I don't care. Um, I want a Pinky in the Brain spin-off movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, don't you mm, at me, James? Mm-hmm. I've never seen Animaniacs, and I don't know what it is. Well, then, don't How you mm, idiot! That's, that's, that's actually it's, true. It's one of the f- funniest and smartest cartoons ever made. Is it they, yes. You come in here with your truck and the... I just you feel, don't know what you're talking about. It is great. It is great. I'm, I'm on Helen's side here. But yeah. I do feel like they would probably ruin it. It would be they'd try and do one of those live action no. CG things and they'd be interacting with David Cross and Matthew Lillard and it would just be Oh no they wouldn't. Oh, oh god no not would. Matthew no David Cross and Matthew Lillard would be nowhere near an Animaniacs movie. <laughs> David Cross and Matthew Lillard are fine actors. Fine actors fine who would actors. not be allowed anywhere near an Animaniacs movie. Okay. Could, this is this is a this is a show that made jokes about the Godfather to 2001, mm-hmm. Don Quixote, like you name it, they were making. Guarantee they didn't say Don Quixote like that. They probably did. It was it's a real good. In the brain thing. It's real good. It was amazing. Yeah, and you coming in here with your truculent opinions about things that you've never seen. Yeah, you have gone full resmog. <laughs> never go full resmog. That's that's good advice. We've gone political here on the old The Empire podcast. The The Empire podcast. Um, I'm going to mention two things very very quickly yeah. before we've got to move on. A banana man. Oh yeah. Every yeah. superhero is getting a banana. Oh my god. So good. Yeah, Banana yeah. Man's solid. Uh, I think Banana Man is ripe oh. for a movie. Lots of uh, movies being based on comic book heroes. I don't know if you've noticed that. And also, I was going to say, uh, a kid's show that was made in the last five years, <laughs> Horrible Histories, but it is getting a movie. It so is. that's nice. And then finally, who remembers Rod Hull and Emu? I, yeah, I was just about to say Pink Windmill. Yeah. Grot Bags. Did you yeah, die Grot Bags Origins. Who would you cast as Grot Bags? If they announce like a two hundred million dollar big studio reimagining of the Pink Windmill, Miriam Margulies, <laughs> <laughs> Miriam Margulies, without shadow of a doubt, no, Margulies could not carry a two hundred million dollar tentpole. Yes, she could. No, she could. She could. I think no, Kate Blanchett could. could pull it off. She's she no grot bag. She what do you could like prosthetics. Blanchett can do anything. Can, yeah. and they have. And if you, if you got Kate Blanchett with the budget, then you're good. It's all good. I would go Kate Blanchett. Uh, or I would go uh, Melissa McCarthy. Okay. Can't argue with that. All right, so that has answered... What's his name? Will Hughes' question to his satisfaction. If you want to have your question read out in the Ampera podcast, then you can get in touch by a number of methods. Let me see. You can tweet us. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. And we're on email. You can email us at podcast at empireonline.c. O-M. Time now and then to talk about this week's big movie news. And the biggest movie news, the one that's on, uh, the story that's on everyone's lips, is there's a new issue of Empire on sale in all good and evil news agents. Woo-hoo! And digitally as well. Love saying that word. Digitally. So, let's talk about it. What, what is, Nick, tell me about this magazine. What, what's in the magazine? There's a lot of great stuff inside the issue. What is not in this magazine? That's an um, even better way of putting it. I'll tell you what is in the magazine. James Cameron and lots of him. There is a. Uh, it makes um, it sound like he's done a nude centerfold. <laughs> he That's has not only on the subscribers edition. 
No, we uh, the cover story is uh, Alita Battle Angel, which is the movie uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, but um, uh, has been shepherded by James Cameron for the last 20 years. He's been trying to, he hoped to direct yeah. it himself, handed it over to Robert Rodriguez. So that's an interesting story. I think um, James Cameron has written us an amazing essay. That's uh, nice. That's nice of him. This is kind of My kicking Summer off Holidays our, by James Cameron. Yeah, so this is kind of kicking off our 30th birthday celebrations. So Yeah, we uh, haven't really talked about this, have we? No. Empire's about to turn 30. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, next year. Yeah. Uh, so we're starting our birthday celebrations now because the Queen gets two birthdays, so we might as well get 13. Yeah. Because we're better than that many times better than the Queen. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So over the next year, we're going to be celebrating uh, lots of amazing uh, directors, 30 of them, in fact. And, and first up is James Cameron. Indeed. Very excited. And you went to LA, you hung out with Jimbo. I not was the good Jimbo, not this one. Yep, the good one. I was pretty fortunate. I got to go to his house. Um, which is not a giant airlock or a <laughs> giant sort of deep sea submersible, but it's, it's a an actual house. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. I got to go and um, fire readers' questions at him next to a swimming pool, and he was good fun. <laughs> um, not literally. Was he in the swimming pool? No, we were next to the swimming pool. Okay. That's why I said, on, isn't it? Come on. You were yeah. in the hot tub together. I, I should you, specify you were, we were not in the hot tub. <laughs> you were pool adjacent. <laughs> we both had our clothes on, and it was all good, wholesome fun. Um, but he was great. He was a lot of fun. So he uh, wrote us a piece as well as that. And I also talked to somebody for the magazine that I was totally cool about. It was totally calm, totally cool. wasn't wasn't excited at all. I was cool. <laughs> I interviewed Lin Manuel Miranda, Linny Manny, <laughs> Linny Manny himself. Yes. Amazing. Yes, uh, obviously for Mary Poppins Returns, and but really um, for Hamilton. But mostly for Hamilton. Yeah. I might have possibly, I honestly, my 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 professionalism was tested. I might have brought my Hamilton and got it signed. I admit nothing. You're not going to throw away your shot. I'm not going to throw away my shot. And you're not going to want to throw away this issue. Oh! Because there's more stuff in it to come. Uh, Look at the segues. (laughs) As luck would have it, I have an issue here. Look at this. This Uh is incredible. Uh, So this is a a really great issue, I would say. So we got the James Cameron stuff. We got the Elite of Battle Angel stuff. We have a feature on the front runner, which is the Oscar favorite. And then we have a feature on the favorite, which is the Oscar front runner. And uh, (laughs) Helen... Helen Manuel Miranda spoke to... That's your now official... I think you changed your name. Um, yeah, obviously, obviously. At what point did you drop all pretense of being even remotely interested in Mary Poppins Returns and just talk to him about Hamilton? I was c- totally, totally professional. My brief from my features editor, Nick... Hello. Hello, was to go through his entire career and not just Hamilton. And damn it, I did that. I talked about The Sopranos. I talked about Sex and the City, um, which you may not have known he was in those, but he was... We we went through the whole thing, um, and he was a delight. Amazing. It's yeah. probably good. Amazing. Very jealous. But then again, you saw him first. So uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we've got lots of other great stuff outside the issue. We've got a first look at uh, the new Hellboy, the story about Behind Once Upon a Deadpool, Eric Idle is a pint of milk. In my section, there's loads of great stuff, review, uh, including an oral history of the bathroom fight from Mission Impossible Fallout. And there is a 22-page tribute to Stanley, who obviously passed away very, very recently, and... And we were very, very close to going to press on the magazine, but Stanley is such a huge figure for us that uh, we pulled out all the stops and came up with this 22-page tribute. Uh, I wrote a couple of pieces in there. Kenneth Branner wrote a piece for us in that, uh, as well on what Stanley means to him. Uh, we reprint my podcast interview with him from Comic-Con 2017. It is now in print. And yes... Comic book is printed as two words in the magazine. Even though Stan said it was going to be one word, but, you know, how style wins. Sorry, Stan. I love that interview because there's some very detailed uh, discussion of um, punctuation huh. and hyphens. <laughs> and that's, I love that stuff. So, And you are a grammar man. I'm grammar man. That is yeah. my superhero persona. It's, it's very exciting. It's a really, really great issue. It's on sale right now. Go and pick it up. Pair of wages, you mothers. That's not really a very nice thing way to put it. All right, okay. Chris got to eat. <laughs> got to eat. I've got some Twiglets. <laughs> give me a Twiglet. I hate Twiglets, but give me a Twiglet. <laughs> In the meantime, someone else talk about some movie news. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> this is not podcast this is so sort of This is a sort of wasted moment that would make Bruno Mars just go nuts. What was his name? Bruno Mars? Roman Mars? Whatever his name is. Anyway, he'd, he'd go nuts about that. Let's start with the fact that we have a new Draclier. How about that? Uh, a new what now? Draclier. He's back. Draclier is back. Draclier is back. Draclier is back. There and he's, yeah, he's there, fangier than ever. There aren't many uh, names that are better than Count Dracula, but this guy who's who? now playing Dracula has got a better name. Yes, and his he name does. Is... Tell us his name, Nick. <laughs> pronounce yeah, his name, you, Nick. You pronounce his name, Nick. 
Clash Bang. What, Clash, what, what a video. <laughs> Did I get that right? I, I be, it's not spelled that way, but I believe it might be pronounced Crash Bang. <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> I have no evidence to support this assertion. But well, I, I it's like a genuinely believe. good name, I whatever it is. I think it's Clash Clash Bang. It's just like a significant saying, Clash Bang. Oh, God. Oh, God. But it might be Class Bang. I don't know. I've never actually met him, and I haven't seen any TV shows with, where he's been introduced. So. so this is the BBC Dracula series from uh, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss. Um, so this is, you know, they've reinvented Sherlock Holmes. Now it's the turn of the other turn of the 20th century icon. Will Dracula have a mind castle? <laughs> <laughs> I good. assume so, yeah. So it'll be set in Transylvania in 1897, where um, the Count is plotting against denizens of Victorian London, is what how we count. put it here. I know. Uh, Mr. Bang says, I'm thrilled to be taking on the role of Dracula, especially when the script is in the hands of the incredible talents of Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss, and the team responsible for Sherlock. Um, yes, he's evil, but there's so much more to him. This is him talking about Dracula, not Gatiss or <laughs> Moffat. Um, he's charismatic, intelligent, witty, and sexy. I realize that there's a lot to live up to with all the amazing people that have played him over the years, but I feel so privileged. Let's so. list those amazing people, shall we? Christopher Lee. Amazing. Bella Lugosi. What a god. What a god. Jack Palance. Yep. George Hamilton. Oh. Jerry Butler. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Wow. This is garlic! <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see him do a cooking show. <laughs> Just introducing every ingredient <laughs> by yelling it at the camera. <laughs> this is oregano! <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch the hell out of that. But no, it's, you've got to be excited about this because obviously um, Sherlock was a phenomenon. I think uh, they've done very interesting things with Sherlock. I don't love everything about Sherlock, but um, there's no kind of arguing that they turn that into a phenomenon. Uh, so I think they're going to do some interesting things with mm-hmm. Dracula. I think, don't think this is going to be a traditional retelling. I think they're going to throw some stuff at it and do some uh, interesting visual things. But will. Uh, yeah. Will. What? 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 What is it? What is it about to happen? I'm just saying, will Crash Bang, who I'm sure will be very, very good in the role, be able to hold a candle to the best Dracula of all? I do, of course, refer to Richard Roxburgh. (laughs) I am. I'll be honest, you, that was not the direction I thought you were going to go into. What do you think I was going to do? I thought you were going to do one of those things you do where you just crowbar a, a terrible joke in. Uh, just for the sake of it I thought you were going to do something along the lines I thought you were going to say something like yes it all sounds great but uh, how are they going to raise the stakes or something like that but they went like in a kind of like a like a like a uh, David Crusoe way and then slide my sunglasses (laughs) and go wow that sort of thing pretty much yeah Hells Bells what are you excited about this old crash bang yeah, I am. I'm I'm optimistic for it. I'm like Nick, I'm a bit mixed on Sherlock in the end. I thought, you know, season one pretty consistently good. Every subsequent season mm-hmm. up and down at best. Oh so player hater. That's not player hating. I mean fair. that was like balanced commentary. It's, it's mild, mild dispersion <laughs> hating something, I don't know. So um well, why do you hate the Sherlock yeah, so much? Why Ellen? do you hate Sherlock? Yeah, that's true, yeah. All right. But, I'm um, excited about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, three parts, three part in the. I'm presuming there'll be more uh, episodes to come, but three episodes initially on the BBC and Netflix, and it'll be out. I presume next year. What? What? Very exciting. Hey, speaking of many parts to a story, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, is coming out on the 12th of December. Although there are going to be some previews before then. I think if you go and see it next week, there's one night when it's in cinemas just for Medi Cinema, so you can go and see it and contribute to a good cause. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely freaking incredible. <laughs> I don't want to like get ahead of the review or anything, but I absolutely loved it. So and it's you... straight in a, in the high part of my films of the year. Wow. It's an amazing film. And you've seen six films this year. So. I have seen six, and it's like it's in the top five of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it's it's currently sitting at hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and um, it's it's coming out soon. It's going to be big, I think. I cannot wait to see it. And they Spider have, tomatoes. They have announced. Uh, not just a sequel, but apparently also a Spider Girls spin-off. Mm. So this is, I think, very, very good news. Because is that what it's officially called, Spider Girls? No, that's interesting. It, it's not what it's. I'm called. excited. I kind of wish it was Spider Pigs, <laughs> but I will accept this. Spider Ham is wonderful. Uh, Spider Man Noir is wonderful. There are many, many Spider Mans, um, and I mm. keep singing the song from Kimmy Schmidt every time I think about this film, but in a good way. Um, so yeah, no, no real details um, about this yet. Uh, Avatar: The Last airbender veteran Joaquin Dos Santos is apparently going to direct the sequel 
they haven't obviously told us anything about what that will be, given that people haven't even seen the first one yet. Mm-hmm. And then the spin-off is even more sort of up in the air, but it's apparently a female character-focused story, probably about Hayley Steinfeld-voiced um, Spider-Gwen. Mm-hmm. So we shall see. This is exciting. I, really I, exciting. I haven't seen this yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. It is, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty special. It really is pretty special. I can't wait for you all to see it. It's going to be awesome. Cannot wait. And we're hopefully going to be doing a spoiler special for that as well. And while I have you, and while we're talking about spoiler specials and specials and whatnot and all sorts of stuff, uh, I should mention there's a ton of content coming your way. over the, And some of it's already here. Some of it is, is coming uh, over the next couple of days and indeed next couple of weeks. So very quickly, I'll try and run through it as quickly as I can. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald spoiler special is up right now with producer David Heyman and director David Yates. That is there for you to listen to. Uh, James and I uh, debated the age-old question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie on a very special podcast with Sky Cinema's Alex Sane and Absolute Radio's Dave Berry. That is also up for you to listen to right now. Finally, some... Egypt got round to editing the Arnold Schwarzenegger ranking episode. That do it, is do it now! I did it, I did it, I did it then! Get uh, to the editing software! That's up right now. The Kurt Russell interview special is up right now, or will be by the time you listen to this, as indeed with the Taika Waititi interview special. And then over the next couple of weeks, we have spoiler specials for Creed 2, Aquaman, Ooh. possibly Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Oy. and Bumblebee. Ooh. All coming your way. What? And we have to record all of those guys oh. before we quit for Christmas. <laughs> also, a review, Plus, a review of the year. A review of the year. Yes, yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> you don't need sleep or food or air. <laughs> Evidently not. Podcast shall sustain you. Um, <laughs> so this isn't really a segue because I'm segueing from something Helen said about 10 minutes ago. But, sure, do it. But hey, let's do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Netflix have announced they will be launching a kind of roll doll universe of Ooh. animated stories um, which I am really excited about like Roald Dahl was my favourite writer when I was a kid yeah, and too. I used to love everything he did um, apart from maybe Charlie and the Glass Elevator which scared the shit out of it's me it's really disturbing like it really all the war- yeah. creepy worms who uh, link together I so that they probably will get around to that so I'm quite worried about it but um, they're doing <laughs> the Twits BFG Matilda Charlie and the Chocolate Factory so yeah, I'm super excited about this because I love Roald Dahl. I'm not sure live action is necessarily the right format mm. for his stories that are so kind of outlandish and weird. So I'm really excited to see animated versions. Yeah, I wonder if animation-wise they can keep some of that Quentin, Quentin Blake Blakiness. kind of feel. I think they will. Mm. I hope My so. feeling is they they will keep yeah. to the kind of weird. I, I want to see George's Marvelous Medicine because that's another really freaking intense, yeah. crazy story. And I've not seen a version of that, so... That'd be pretty cool. I'm excited. I wonder what this means for live-action adaptations going forward, as you said, but also Paul King had been announced to direct or had been in talks to direct a Willy Wonka prequel. So I don't know if that's going to go ahead because this week he attached himself to another film called Time's Fool, which is based on a, a long poem by Glyn Maxwell. It sounds pretty cool. It's a pretty cool premise. I haven't read it yet, but it's about a, a man who is doomed to spend eternity on a train but every seven years, it stops at his hometown, and that gives him the chance to maybe end his torment. Uh, so it sounds Ooh. quite up Paul King Street. However, I would say it's not Paddington 3, so what the fuck? Yeah, seriously, like just drop it and do something else. It sounds a little bit like The Homeward Bounders by Diana Wynne Jones. If anyone hasn't read that, I, I recommend haven't. it. And if you have, I recommend reading it again because it's great. She did a bit like Howl's the, uh, Moving Castle. She did Howl's yeah. Moving Castle. Yeah, she's a phenomenal writer. So anything mm. of hers that you see, it's kids' books, but mm. really, really phenomenal. Sounds ones. a bit like the uh, Metropolitan Line as well. Mm-hmm. This week, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, can I just give a quick shout uh, to Steven Spielberg is making a new version of West Side Story. Yep. Um, and some casting has been announced. Rita Moreno, who of course won Best Supporting Actress for the the original film, mm-hmm. um, has been cast in mm-hmm. a new role, I believe. So that is exciting because she is an absolute goddess and yes. a legend. And yes, never in my wildest dreams did I see myself revisiting this, she says. And to be asked by Steven Spielberg. You can really do her voice as well. You just nailed it so perfectly. Yeah, so, that was, so well. That was so good. Yeah, this is exciting. I, I wonder if uh, she is, of course, an EGOT. She is And an this EGOT. movie might give her the chance to become an EGOTI. Egood. Which is uh, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Oscar Tony, Tony, Empire Award. And you star in the film Goatee. <laughs> <Gotti. laughs> 
Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> John Travolta is goatee. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's very, very exciting news. And she is a legend. And only the second person cast that movie so far alongside Ansel Elgort as mm. Tony. So exciting times ahead. Uh, and there was some really sad news this week. Uh, a lot of really important people in the world of film passed away this week. Uh, we lost Nicholas Rogue at the mm. age of 90. We lost a great Ricky Jay, great character actor and sleight of hand magician. If yeah. you have any time spare over the next few days, just Google some of Ricky Jay's tricks on YouTube. The man was a legend. Bernardo Bertolucci died at the age of 77 as well, the great Italian director. And Gloria Katz passed away today as well, the age of 76. And Gloria Katz was a, uh, a screenwriter with her husband, Willard Hike, and they co-wrote American Graffiti with George Lucas. They were uncredited polishers on Star Wars as well. And they received an Oscar nomination for, for American Graffiti. And Samuel Hadida, who was uh, a French producer behind movies like the Resident Evil franchise and the Silent Hill movies, uh, he also passed away at the age of 64. So we've, we lost some titans there, Helen. Yeah, I mean, I think Nicholas Rogue is um, just pick up him out in particular mm. there was such a night swelling of, of uh, love and affection for him on Twitter and people recommending deep cuts of his work that go <laughs> far beyond the ones that we know um, which is wonderful so I've got I've literally got a to-do list now yeah. um, as a result of is of Eureka that. on your to-do list <laughs> it is actually is it? yeah. it's a great film um, so uh, you know but obviously you know remembered for things like Don't Look Now and yeah. just just phenomenal performance phenomenal work. and yeah. walkabout and oh, just an incredible um, director and um, and such an eye obviously as a cinematographer as mm. well um, and uh, he came along to one of the Empire events, if you remember, a few mm. years ago. And just gave he did. A, he was a wonderful, wonderful storyteller as well. We had the privilege, I think all of us had the mm. privilege, actually, of watching Kim Newman interview him yes. before or after, I can't remember, uh, a screen of Don't Look Now. And that was just incredible. And that happened straight after a Real Steel uh, presentation. It's a bit of a, <laughs> really? bit of a change of uh, pace there. But yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Don't Look Now is my favourite, I think probably a lot of people's favourites, but mm -hmm. I mean, he was amazing. Performance is a complete trip of a film. Uh, I recommend his book, uh, The World is Ever Changing, uh, which he wrote, I think, about five years ago. There's a really good enhanced Kindle edition of it Ooh. with lots of extra photos. and. Oh, is it a memoir? And this and that. Um, kind of, yeah. It's like part memoir, part... He has poems in there, like some mm -hmm. of his favourite poems, some letters and stuff. It's um, Yeah, it's a bit sort of more esoteric than a straightforward memoir, but it's it's really, really good if, mm. you, if you like his work. Incredibly influential filmmaker. Whenever he, he died, uh, so many people were just paying tribute to him on Twitter. And, and Duncan Jones, did you see this Duncan Jones tweet? Duncan Jones shared a lovely picture of Duncan Jones as a kid on the set of The Man Who Fell to Earth mm. with Nick Rogue and with, obviously, Duncan Jones' dad, David Bowie. Yeah. Uh, that's just a lovely little thing. But Chris Nolan worshipped him. He's one of Chris Nolan's idols. You can see a real influence on on um, Nolan's work. Mm. Nick Rogue did such interesting things with editing and with fractured timelines, fractured timelines, mm -hmm. jumping around in time, and just really yeah. kind of um, elliptical use of uh, chronology and stuff. So you can see that all the way through Nolan's work, I think. But uh, yeah, I also want to give a shout out to, uh, once again to Ricky Jay, who was just one of those incredible character actors that you will remember in films. So you know, we we call them the twenty seven percenters. That's our shorthand at, at Empire. They improve any movie they're in by twenty seven percent. Uh, he was an amazing magician, amazing sleight of hand guy, but he had such a lugubrious face and voice mm. that he was just ripe for the big screen as well. And David Mamet in particular used him brilliantly in a lot of movies. He's fantastic in the likes of Heist and House of Games, but uh, he's really, really great. And you remember him, of course, as Gupta in Tomorrow Never Dies. I found out this week that he had a card trick cut from that movie. Which oh. is, <laughs> yeah, it, I, in context, it wouldn't have, you know, because suddenly this guy is throwing cards at things. Because one of his tricks was he would throw cards at, at a watermelon and it would pierce the skin of a yeah. watermelon. He's an, uh, yeah, There's he's, an amazing uh, reaction shot in Boogie Nights. I just rewatched Boogie Nights he's last great week. In Boogie Nights. And there was an amazing shot that just struck me this time of uh, the first sex scene with Dirk Diggler, where he kind of, you know, reveals his, uh, the true extent of his majesty. And it cuts to Ricky <laughs> Jay, who's the camera guy, and he just like t takes his eye away from the camera and has this amazing expression on his face. It's really <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, he was great. He always enhanced uh, whatever he was in. Uh, yeah, a sad yeah. week in cinema. A very sad week in cinema, indeed. Time now for this week's guest. Alfonso Cuaron is one of the three amigos, along with Alejandro Gonzalez Inerito and Guillermo del Toro. Like my pronunciations, Helen? Muy bien. Getting better? Sí, sí. Getting better? My French is perfect. He is an amazing director, very, very versatile, Itumama Tambien, Gravity, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Children of Men. Whenever he makes a movie, he doesn't make them very often, but whenever he makes them, 
he, he comes to play. Uh, and he certainly has with Roma, which is a semi-autobiographical tale about growing up in Mexico City. The movie is a Netflix film. It will be on Netflix as of next week. We will be reviewing it in next week's show, but it is out this week in limited release. Uh, I'm thinking Curzon Cinemas and other maybe other cinemas around the country, so keep an eye out on the schedules for that, and you may get to see Roma on the big screen. But in the meantime, Ian Freer went along to interview him recently in a London hotel room, and it is a lot of fun, this interview. Uh, I was in the room twiddling the knobs and pressing the buttons, and yeah... I enjoyed it. I should probably rephrase that. But anyway, I'm not going to. I'm happy with that. Here we are, in for your talking to Alfonso Cuaron. Enjoy. Alfonso Cuaron, welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me here. You're very welcome. We're here to talk about Roma, which is a film you've kind of ripped from your own life. It's quite interesting that a lot of filmmakers make their autobiographical films at the start of their careers. You think of Fellini and Truffaut and George Lucas. You've taken a little bit of time to get to that. Why do you think? Were you kind of scared of going back to the past, you think? Yeah, I guess so. Also, I'm a late bloomer, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they got it right immediately. No, but Fellini, Fellini, if you refer to a McCord that he did that in the yeah, 70s. Quite late. Yeah, but, or, in he, the he, 70s. He, he that alone, was like, he uh, is quite, that's an early one of his, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And was it, how was it going back to those kind of experiences? Was it it's an intense kind of thing to do, to revisit? It's, it's Mexico in the early 70s, isn't it? So you would have been about, what, seven, eight years old? I was 10. 10, okay. Ten. Yeah, the, um, the, it, was, it was a very strange experience. Um, first of all, because going back to Mexico City, looking for places that I have written and described very, very, with, with, with great detail, but uh, based upon my memory yeah. of those places and confronted with those places now. So it was always the clash between what it was there and it, it is not anymore. Yeah. But also I was looking for these places in the, uh, uh, with, with a crew of, of Mexican people that live there and for, which, for whom these places are the present. Yeah. For, so for them... Those places were the embodiment of the present. And for me, those places were the embodiment of what it was not anymore. Right. Well, you yeah, know, so it was me, a, yeah. a strange experience, that whole thing. Yeah. And doing the film later on, um, because I was doing the prep, I was at, at, the, at, the, at the beginning so focused in the detail and making sure that things were, you know, the way they were supposed to be that it took me a while to realize what I was doing. And then I realized it was intense. <laughs> <laughs> but what, one of the, the granular details I'd like to ask you about was um, there's, there's a, a shot where the camera moves through the house and it passes a poster for the Mexico World Cup in 1970. Yep. Was that a big thing for you? Yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah. How did Mexico do in that World Cup? I can't remember. Uh, it did like um, always quarters. <laughs> <laughs> the usual. Okay. The usual, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and it's very exciting. England, to see. England went there as champions. It, it was remember. England. England did. They went to, to the next uh, quarters, is the next is uh, semi. Semi, semi, yeah. Semi. Uh, yeah, England went semi, and, and who beat them was Brazil, I think. And, uh, yeah. and that was the World Cup right after Bobby Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have vivid memories of that World Cup. I have vivid memories because you know I was ten. It was Mexico. It was the World Cup in Mexico. So you know everybody was talking about and and I would go to some some of the games. So it was it was it was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and what about um? So another detail is that there's a lot of kind of imagery of planes in the film. Yeah. How, what was your thought about that? How did that come about? Well, in, in one hand, this is, is the transient thing of uh, uh, nature of things, you know, things that are yeah. just passing. A whole other universe that is uh, of unseen people or unknown people that they are just passing and they have their own existence. Yeah. Uh, in, the other, in, the other, in, the other, uh, in the other hand, it's also uh, a, like an observation of how in this context of life in which you have, yes, you have love and you have solidarity, but you also have poverty and misery and pain and, 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 uh, and injustice. And nevertheless, there is this goal of, of uh, 
this modernism, this, this, this is longing of this modern, of, of, of this modernism yeah. that is all these planes and all these cars, they, they coexist with these shanty towns, yeah. you know, in the same world that we live. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, it's that contrast of... Well, it's that contrast and that, that, that almost absurdity of things. I mean, as absurd of seeing a piece of metal flying. Yeah. 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 Um, There's a lovely scene where the kids uh, go to see Marooned. Yes. Now, I think Marooned is kind of a shit version of Gravity. Is that fair? Uh, That that, that is a very, very, very unfair thing to say because actually (laughs) Gravity is an homage to Maroon in many ways. Okay. For uh, people Maroon, who haven't seen Maroon, can you tell, explain what Maroon is? Maroon is, is, is a film, I think it's from 1968, yeah. with Gene Hackman and James Franciscus, yeah. uh, in which uh, there is a group of uh, astronauts that get stranded in space. Yeah. And it's the whole mission of trying to bring them back. And actually it was done in a very... Uh, it's, it's one of the only... Uh, space films that they that they take space exploration seriously. Yeah, you know it was very well researched. Okay, the special effects for the time were yeah, really that. damn good. Yeah, and the the whole they didn't make it as a science fiction film, but as a realistic film. And and the thing is that a couple of years later, after it was released, there was Apollo thirteen. Yeah, and when I was a kid, it was always the reference. Yeah. You know, like. Uh, Apollo thir- that uh, Maroon foreshadowed what was going to happen with Apollo 13. Anyway, it's a film that really, when I was a kid, and I described the moment of going to see that film, it was a film that, was, that, that, that impressed me very much. Right. But also impressed me something that I think came up later on in Gravity, that is this idea of, of floating in a void. And that the, on- the, the only possibility of salvation is human contact. Um, and that was obvious in Gravity, because it's very literally about that. Yeah. Uh, but in this film, at the end, it's, it's, it's about that. It's about how in this absurdity of life, in this, well, a life that doesn't really have much meaning. Yeah, so Rome is like this, you say. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Rome is like that. This is, is a, in a life that really doesn't have an, in that this meaning and everything is so transient and and there's amazing stuff and very bad stuff happening in life. Yeah. It, the only thing that makes sense and gives a meaning to life is our our bonds of affection. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the only thing that carries on. Yeah. Uh, forgive me for being so harsh about uh, marooned. I, no, I, I didn't do it. I didn't <laughs> yeah. do it. You were praising gravity, and I'm glad about that. But <laughs> but I really like Maroon. I have to, I, I, I saw it recently. Are, yeah, you are right. The visual effects are for the time they're great. And That's and true. Hackman is fantastic, and Frank, Franciscus is is great, and it's Peter Jensen there, and is uh, uh, Gregory Peck, who's uh, Mission Control. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. people what, watch watch Maroon this weekend <laughs> you usually don't like it why, why you don't like it I don't know I just, I just remember it being really bad I, I, I haven't seen it for a while maybe I should revisit it yeah I'm, revisit I'm, it, I'm, revisit I'm, it. You, you like it you like yeah. it uh, you talked about how this film is kind of 90% ripped from your own memories yep there's a scene where uh, a guy uh, is um, doing naked kung fu in front of his girlfriend Cleo yep. I guess that's in the 10% of the of the, the the things that you've made up, is that fair, or have you done that? The that's that's the ten percent that will apply. To no, the thing is this is it's it's about memory, but also the only you can only uh, approach memory from the standpoint of the present. So I I didn't want to make a nostalgic film about going back into yeah. into the past that I remember. Yeah, I wanted to do a film about the past from the standpoint of my understanding today. Yeah. And that's the reason in which uh, both themes, the the personal wounds and the social wounds, they interconnect. Yeah. And that was the, also then the space in which, from the standpoint of of the present, I could play with with themes and 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 symbolic elements that I thought they were pertinent. Right. Also, I guess that that black and white helps you not to be nostalgic to have that kind of golden light that a lot of nostalgic films have it, well that yeah. that for sure but also it's a black and white that is not nostalgic because it's a modern black and white yeah 
It's uh, dig it's embracing digital. It's not trying. I know that there's a whole school about trying to disguise the digital and make it look more, quote unquote, filmic. Oh. I wanted to embrace a contemporary black and white, 65 mil, completely pristine, no grain. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, but as as if I'm looking at the past, so-called black and white, but from the standpoint of the present. Yeah. And this is our present technology. Yeah, and and you you were the DP. And I, I uh, was reluctantly, yes. Reluctantly, because Ch Chivo, uh, your regular DP, was busy. Is that is that fair? No, well, is that you? because of the process? I I kept on extending the days of shoot and the days of preparation, and then it, co it became it became unfeasible for Chivo to do it. Right. But that, and he had to, and this was like two and a half weeks before we start shooting. That that. Uh, so it was a moment of making a big decision, and Chivo is the Chivo who suggested, who suggested, you know what, you should do it. But am I right in thinking that you kind of started as a boom operator? I, uh, I did uh, several films, ooh, like a, more than a dozen films as a boom, oper as a boom operator. Right. So is there any job on a set you can't do? How's, oh, your, how's your catering? That is the best one, actually. No, no, I, look, I've, I've done a lot of different positions, That doesn't mean I was great doing the different positions. Right. But I learned the craft of the different positions. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And was it how important, thinking about that this is a very kind of intimate, personal film, how important was something like Great Expectations in teaching you about what you wanted to do and what you didn't want to do? Uh, great Expectations for me was fundamental because sometimes the process of learning is precisely learning what you should not do. Yeah. You know, and uh, and sometimes that is not doing things for the wrong reason. Yeah. But in many ways, I, I guess it's organic with the theme of the film because in Great Expectations is about a character who's doing everything for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, th that I learned and it was painful. It was painful because you can never be satisfied you think you, you, you do things for the wrong reasons. Right. And did... And so did you have doubts when Harry Potter came along? So I think, didn't Guillermo del Toro tell you, he called you, what's the word? Is it a, a, a flacco? A flacco, flacco is skinny what, guy. What does that mean, skinny guy? So yeah. tell me that story. How did, how did he get you to do it? Uh, with the cursing words or without the cursing the words? The cursing words are good. We're, we're I mean, it's Guillermo, words. then there would be a lot of cursing. But we're good with that. Okay, okay. so yeah, I, uh, it was after it to Mama también and... and uh, You know, we're like always on the phone talking and chatting and discussing about projects and I says, and what they, they have they offered you anything? And I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started making fun of Harry Potter. They offered me Harry Potter. I haven't seen the films, read the books, and I just got kind of like annoying about yes, can you imagine Harry Potter? I know it's about three kids, two boys and a girl. It's like just they saw it to Mama también and I think that everything is like that <laughs> and stuff. And And then he stopped me and said, wait, 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 they offer you Harry Potter. And he says, yeah. And why? You, and, and, and so you're going to say yes? I says, no, Guillermo, I'm not, I, I'm not going to do Harry Potter. And he says, but have you read the books? And I said, no, I haven't read the books. And he says, you're a fucking arrogant bastard. <laughs> I, you go right now, buy the books, read them and call me back. And I was halfway through the third book, then I called him back and says, okay, Guillermo, I was wrong. You're right. <laughs> you know, because I, I discovered, I was really blown, blown, blown away by, by, uh, by, by the books. You know, it was, yeah. uh, uh, it was such an amazing universe, but also a universe that was referring to, to ourselves and to, and to the world. You know, it was it was it was not only an out of their fantasy. Yeah. You know, it's about people, about dynamics, about families, about societies. You know, so I, I I think it's brilliant. Yeah, and that's that's been your key concern, hasn't it, throughout the whole of your career? That's that kind of that's run through it, hasn't it? That interest in society, how the human in society and the society in the human, that kind of thing. Well, we're one and the same, no? Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, uh, I wish I could go into deeper. Uh, concerns, you know, uh, and more metaphysical concerns. Probably Rome is the closest to that in the sense that it's more about uh, about maybe I, I if I, I I don't know how to uh, 
put Roma in a nutshell because it's about existence at the end. Yeah. But it's not with, you know, the metaphysical brilliance that Igmar Bergman would have when, you know, uh, making a film about insulated people in an island. Yeah. But just some of the... Some of the, the uh, there's a shot where uh, Cleo's walking and in the deep background, there's a, a human cannonball being fired. Yes. How do you do that stuff? How do you think about... How the deep background, the the, the, choreogra- the choreography of that is amazing. Uh, yeah, well, uh, that that I, I I have an amazing group of people. I mean, what is amazing also is that that we need needed to reconstruct this shanty town the, the way that was in the nineteen seventies, the real place yeah. in the, of the nineteen seventies. Now it's a it's a city, it's a developed area. So we have to shoot in some other place. And Eugenio, Eugenio Caballero, the production designer, uh, had to do a whole big design i mean all the all the all the water all the puddles all the little bridges yeah. in which people walk walk on top of the of the thing and part of the whole thing was the cannonball man and uh actually that was so much fun to see this guy doing it over and over and over how many and times did you get him to do it he did like a good 20 times oh, man. I know, I know, I know, but it was so much fun to watch it. <laughs> it was so much fun to see it, man. It's like... What about there's a there's a scene where uh, in a furniture shop that turns into a riot? Yes. That's, again, how do you think through that? It's such a complicated um, piece of film, filmic choreography. How did you plan through that? Well, that, that requires a lot of planification. I mean, for once, because we were shooting in the place where the events took place. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we reconstructed a furniture shop where that furniture shop used to exist that now is a gym. So we have to get rid of the gym and put the furniture shop to shoot in that avenue. That avenue is is a very important avenue in the city. So when we block it, we were disrupting the city. So there was a problem. And on top of that, you have a, a very complicated choreography of uh, that, incl- uh, that that involves uh, people beating other people, so that means that you have to be very careful because you don't want to hurt people. So we have to do endless research and uh, re- rehearsals in football football fields of uh, with the with the stunts and the and the martial arts uh, experts oh. uh, in order to choreograph everything. So it would have the realism of the images that are recorded of the original event, but at the same time make it safe for thousands of extras. So that was kind of yeah. logistically a bit complicated. And then do it in one shot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and final thing, um, it's been five years since Gravity. Please tell us it's not going to be another five years until the next thing. Uh, probably it's going to be another <laughs> five years next, before the next thing. It, 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 I think it's more or less a pattern that I've been following. Yeah. And... Probably when my kids grow up, uh, I'll I'll do films more often. Right. But it's uh, that's another full time job, man. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a film in England versus Mexico football matches? England versus Mexico. Yeah, there's a drama in that, isn't there? They both lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Alfonso Cuarón, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> That was Afonso Cuaron, and time now for the review section. Let's start with the big hit at the US box office this week. Actually, we've got two big hits at the US box office this week, both opening this week. Uh, it is, of course, a sequel to Wreck-It Ralph. It is Ralph Breaks the Internet. Yes. Hell's Bells. Yes, so this story, we, we kind of start off where we kind of left them. So Ralph and Vanellope are best buds, um, obviously voiced by John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman again. And everything is going really well. Ralph is completely happy with life as it is. Vanellope, though, is getting a little bit bored of the same old grind. She can win her game really easily now. She's got a glitch under control. So she's a bit like, well, you know, life is a bit lacking in challenge for her. But things get more complicated when, due to an unfortunate series of events involving her need for uh, independence, her game is broken. And she faces (laughs) basically the game being sold off and Ralph being separated forever from his friend. So... They basically set out to get the missing part they need to replace her console. So they need a new steering wheel for the console. And that means going to the internet, to eBay, to buy this console part. 
and get it ordered and sent back in the real world so that she will be able to continue surviving, basically. So it's basically an adventure on the internet with Ralph and Vanellope getting into all sorts of scrapes and discovering how things work out there. So this is full on meta, right? There's loads of in-jokes and references and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, and some of them are brilliant and some of them are really weird and kind of too much. Um, So you've got, you know... The, the, the side of the internet is this huge city and there's like giant towers called Google and Amazon and things like that. And then you've also got, you know, the kind of slums of the dark web where there are viruses and malware and that kind of stuff. And and there's also a sort of giant Disney castle, which is full of the, the most in-your-face product placement I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the, it was it was genuinely distracting from the movie i like all of these films and yet i find it too much like it was it was crazy but you know there's lots of cleverness here lots to love it's in some ways similar to the emoji movie and the whole you know traipsing through the internet but thing. In, a, in a nice way but in a much not, much not be- in that way yeah it's much much better done than that and the whole <laughs> thing that they've hyped up with the disney princesses is actually very well done mm. they're really good how um, did they get them all in the same room at the same time? <laughs> it's it's magic, isn't it? I love that it's actually the voices of all the Disney princesses yes. as well. Yeah. Although they didn't bring Giselle back, so I did miss Amy Adams. That was that was a shame. But, oh, but yeah. It, oh, really? Yeah, really, oh, but really, really good uh, work on the Disney princesses. That, so that stuff was all great. The one and only wickedly talented Adele Dazeem is back in this one. Exactly yeah, right. All yeah. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, so so really, really good stuff. They even got um, there's Vanellope, you know, is wondering if she's a princess because she doesn't have a song. So there's a whole thing about that. It's great. And you've also got Gal Gadot's character who's in a in a racing game, like a much harder edged sort of Grand Theft Auto style it's racing a big game, MMO type, brutal. Yes. Yeah. Um, and she is she plays a character called Shank, who is instantly <laughs> one of the coolest characters of the year. She's she's really really good. So there's there's lots to love about it. Shank. I liked it. I didn't probably love it. Uh-huh. Um, I I can't quite put my finger on what was missing for me, but I feel like it's quite clever, clever, but it doesn't always have the heart that I think the best Disney movies and and to some extent the original had. So I I liked it, but. Okay. But yeah, I'm not like, you know, a lot of these, you know, me and Disney animation mm-hmm. and stuff, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go and see it more than once. But this one, I'm like, okay, well, I've seen it. That's fine. I really liked this. Uh, but more than, I don't, not only really liked it, it made me like the first film significantly more than I did mm-hmm. as well. So my issue with Wreck-It Ralph was always that it's a video game movie that never, I thought, really takes advantage of its premise. Like it becomes more about racing and sweets and stuff and with a very loose Mario Kart theme to it. But it didn't, to me, really seize onto the potential of that idea. And I think this one absolutely does, but not on video games, but on the internet. And it completely throws itself into its concept and it embraces it and there's references upon references. I loved all the Disney stuff. Obviously, it's supposed to be a Disney fan site. It's incredibly over the top with everything from Star Wars to Disney princesses to a Stan Lee cameo. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I loved the Princess's Slumber Party. Each one of them has an awesome like, self-referential T-shirt mm-hmm. with a slogan on it. I thought it was great. I think I really, really enjoyed this film until the end, which is not bad at all. When everyone um, dies. Yes, when everyone <laughs> dies in a horrible... I mean, yeah, John Craven turns up. It gets really <laughs> brutal. Um, John Craven un- breaks the internet. It yeah. was unexpected. Or yeah. his Craven Hunter kill suit. <laughs> what happened uh, in fiction people the finale is fine and it's good but it doesn't have the sort of joie de vivre that the one in Wreck-It Ralph has like with the race like you really get into that it really excites you and I know this because I watched it the night before in preparation for this and I think while this one does its concept more justice I, it's, it's sort of final set piece felt more generic and a little bit bland uh, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. said I think this is really good I would give this four stars I would thoroughly recommend anyone go and see it I think it's good. Also, Great. it's much more Vanellope than Ralph-oriented this time around, mm. uh, which I'm quite welcomed. Yeah, that, that always annoyed me about the first one. That was the era when any any Disney film with a female lead was getting a neutral title like Tangled or Brave. Mm. And we were told, oh, well, that's because it's a two-hander Tangled, you know, so it wouldn't be fair to call it Rapunzel. And it's like Wreck-It Ralph comes along and it's clearly a two-hander, but they're like, well, no, it's fine calling it Ralph. And so the same thing here. Oh, it's fine calling it Ralph. Anyway, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I would I would be more of a three on this, but you know I do think it's good and there's loads of good stuff in it. But I yeah. just I just didn't have the instant visceral love for it that I have for some other films. <coughs> Spider Man, Helen Rex, Wreck It Ralph. You say three stars for Ralph breaks the internet, and weirdly enough, so does Empire Magazine. Ooh. Three stars then for Ralph breaks the internet. Next up, we have the number two film in the US this week. It broke all kinds of records for a live action film in the Thanksgiving weekend. It is Creed Two. 
the sequel to Creed, which of course was the sequel to Rocky Balboa, which was the sequel to Rocky V, which was the sequel to Rocky IV, which was the sequel to Rocky III. Okay. Yes. Just wanted to ground people, give a bit of context to it. This is a return, of course, as Michael B. Jordan as Adonis Donny Creed, the son of the late great Apollo Creed, uh, reteaming once again with Sly Stallone as Rocky Balboa. But uh uh-oh, what's this on the horizon? What's that coming over the hill? Is it a monster? It is a monster. It's Ivan Drago and his son, Victor. <gasps> and they want to pummel things. <gasps> Jimbo. Yeah. That is it. This is another film I really enjoyed this week. I had a good week at the cinema. You saw two films. I saw two <laughs> films and <laughs> I liked them both. You get a little badge. I do. Uh, so yes, this is a, a, the spiritual successor to, in fact, and thematic successor to Rocky Four, And it sees Ivan Drago... Uh, uh, return with his son, played by Florian Big Nasty Montiano. Yes. Uh, never has a man been more appropriately named, as he is a man mountain. Walk um, around him, boys. Indeed that. And it follows a fairly standard boxing format. There's fights, there's wins, there's losses, there's an up, there's a down. Lots of stuff happens. But this is an interesting one. Uh, I think, like, Rocky Four is not the best Rocky film, but it is many people's favourite Rocky film. It's not. Don't pull that face. It is not the best Rocky film. But it is, it's loads of fun. And I love that this picks up on that. And I think people will probably fall into two camps in this film. There are people who don't like it because it's not Creed 2. And people who do like it because it is Rocky 8. I'm going to take exception with that immediately. What, because it's literally Creed 2? Not only is yeah. it literally Creed 2, it is Creed 2. Well, no, 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 no. This let, is totally let, let me, far closer to no, Creed no. than Rocky 4. I, I think it falls somewhere in the middle. I think the thing with this I is think, it feels much okay. more traditional. There aren't a great deal of layers to the characterization. It's quite on the nose in every possible sense. Uh, there's a lot of heart to it, but there's not a lot of substance. But I really enjoyed it as a boxing movie. I I thought it was really fun. I was absolutely swept along by it. But it doesn't have a lot of the uh, subtext that Creed does. I also think that uh, while Sylvester Stallone is fantastic again as Rocky, he doesn't have anywhere near as much to do. He doesn't have the emotional heavy lifting that he had in the previous film. I think Tessa Thompson is largely sidelined in this as well. That said, I really enjoyed the Ivan Victor Drago stuff. Uh, And there's there's another surprise uh, appearance in here, which I won't spoil on the podcast. Uh, But that... Oh, yeah. Dynamic yeah, between... The robot butler. It was the robot butler. <laughs> uh, Wreck-It Ralph turns up. Um, that dynamic between them and how they interact with Adonis and Rocky I thought was absolutely fascinating. And yeah, really, really enjoyed this film. But I do think, you know, if people enjoy Rocky films, they'll enjoy this film. But if you don't like Rocky films but you enjoyed Creed for other reasons, this might not strike the chords you wanted to. I completely disagree with And that. that's fine. You're entitled to be wrong. We live in a democracy, for this, now, at least. This is this is a sequel to Creed, spiritually and, and tonally and visually. And it, literally. It, it, the colour palette is it's a Creed colour palette. The soundtrack is the, is is very much in the, in the Creed world as well. This What this does is it takes Rocky IV, which was a cartoon, and it takes those characters who, by the time of Rocky IV, had become caricatures and... Ivan Drago is nothing more. He is a two-dimensional supervillain in that movie. And what this movie does, and I think the actual, maybe taking Rocky V aside, but I think, I think the, the beauty of Rocky Balboa, Creed, and Creed Two is that it has enriched and deepened these characters, in particular Sly Stallone as, as Rocky Balboa. In this movie, does the same with Ivan Drago to an extent. Humanizes him in a way that Rocky Four just didn't. It does. Yeah, he has and no character in Rocky Four. He has no lines in Rocky Four. Really. Precisely. And you know, there's something about the weight. This movie. I'll, I'll full disclosure. I loved it. I absolutely adored this movie. I adore Creed. Creed for me was maybe my number one, number two film of the year. It came out a couple of years ago. I think it's incredible. I have such affection for these characters. I think this is Creed's movie. I think this is Donnie's movie. I think he owns this 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 franchise now, Michael B. Jordan. I think he's terrific in it. But there's something about Stallone as Rocky. And it's very sad that he took the Instagram this week to say that he thinks that this is essentially the, the last time he'll play Rocky Balboa. I hope that's not the case because there's some there's some magic. There's 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 a weird chemistry that happens when he dons that hat that he allows himself to be vulnerable emotionally in a way that he doesn't allow himself to be in any other film. And there's something about the way he can just put that character on like a cloak. This character that he has shepherded over 42 years. 42 years. That is incredible. And almost everything he did or said said in this movie broke me emotionally. And this, there's, there's loads of stuff in this film that I thought was really emotionally resonant. There's, you know, the threads obviously between Ivan and his son, Victor, between... Rocky and his son yep. and and obviously Donnie and Apollo as well. There's this great unspoken thing going on there, obviously because it's a very one-way conversation. 
I adore this movie. I think it's conventional. Yes, perhaps more conventional than Creed is, but I think the new director, Stephen Cable Jr., does a damn good job. And uh, I thought it was terrific, which is why I was a little bit surprised and disappointed to see we only gave it three stars. I think it's terrific. Yeah, I thought, but I wouldn't give it three. I'd probably have given this four. Uh, like I say, I don't think it's a subtle film. We do disagree on the, shall we say, the substance of this. I think it's more superficial by far than Creed. We will get but, into uh, this in our I'm sure special. we will. I'm sure we will. Uh, but either way, I think we can both agree, people should go and see it. People should go and see Creed 2. Stop what you're doing and go see Creed 2 right now. Three stars then for Creed 2. <laughs> Stop what you're doing and go see it because it is a recommendation. <laughs> always say on the podcast, is a recommendation. And next week we'll review Roma and also Andy Serkis's Mowgli, which is also going to be on Netflix mm. as well. How exciting. Because that's it. That yeah. is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by two directors. One, the aforementioned Andy Serkis, director Ooh. of Mowgli. Which Apparently be, it's Mowgli. Only according to Johnny. Yeah, I'm a Jungle Book kid. It's Mowgli. All right. You're Anyone want to fight me? Anyone want to fight me? You want to fight me? Sure. You want to step to me? <laughs> anyway, uh, who else? Oh, yeah, Boots Riley. Boots Riley, director of the astonishing Sorry to Bother You. Uh, he'll be on the show as well. You could say it'll be Boots on the Ground. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Well, I mean, he was on the ground anyway. Luckily, this this his first film is tremendous. It's because really otherwise you'd have to knock Boots. And <sighs> Wait, no. that What? Not? Doesn't that mean something else? Does it? Hmm. Until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from our three colleagues of such lethal cunning off to hang their Christmas trees uh, with a naked salmon dean at the top of her tree. (laughs) Goodbye, Helen O'Hara. I would like to just say that is not the case. Like, can we please be honest here? Did you see they ran a marathon this week? I did, yeah, with their shirts on. Shirts on, finished hand in hand. Really? Didn't see that? Yeah, 100%. Very nice. You know, my sister loves Supernatural. Yeah, because she's wise. (laughs) No, she's not. Goodbye from Nick DeSimlian. Goodbye, I'm off to eat festive twiglets. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm allowed. That's goodbye from James Dyer. Be good, kids, because otherwise, Craven will get you. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to work on my screenplay for Lee Grotbag's movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a hagiography. Oh, no. Because <sighs> she's a hag. No, we got it. We wish we didn't, but we got it. You're a hack. Seems a bit personal. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. <laughs>